Welcome to the Living It Up podcast. This is the Living It Up podcast where we explore the changing landscape of competitive golf. In this episode, we will talk about the end of the WGCs at the Dell Match Play while Matt Wallace wins the opposite field event down at the Dominican Republic. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zero Restriction, the leader in outdoor technical golf apparel. You know you need some gear to better manage the elements, so head to zerorestriction.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for a very generous 30% off your purchase. This is Brian. I am joined by George and PJ Tour veteran Billy Hurley III. Let's start with you, George. First of all, my condolences that your favorite player, Rory McIlroy, did not get the job done today. But, you know, give us your thoughts. I hope the tears are dry. Give us your thoughts on, on the final WGC match play. I mean, it almost gave everybody what they wanted, right? Like there was a, a pretty good stretch today where we thought we were going to get a, a Scotty Rory final. And, you know, we did get a Scotty Rory match. It went 17 holes. Um, it was the consolation match. And, you know, Cam and Sam were uh, kind enough to wrap their match up in 13 holes so that they the TV could show all of Scotty and Rory um, for, for a good stretch there. But, um, you know, th- this event is it's actually one of my favorites. I love this course on TV. It's got weird shots, stuff that I can 100 percent see why it wouldn't be in the rotation for a, a metal play, you know, count up all the strokes over four days kind of tournament because it really does invite some like swashbuckling and, you know, big risk reward type stuff, which is great for match play um, and match like the, the early format with the round Robin setup is great. Like I, there's a lot of golf. It's reminiscent of a certain other tour where you just have a bunch of shots because everyone's out on the course all at the same time. And then the, the problem with the match play though, is as we start getting through to the quarterfinal and the semi, like, you just run out of golf to show and there's a lot of downtime and a lot of talking and, you know, it, it sort of gets, loses its sizzle um, when it should be kind of crescendoing. And, and that's just, I don't, I don't know the hard, I I don't know the way around it just because you, you kind of get stuck watching two guys in a match for a lot of money and, you know, the slightest mark error, is lose a hole and you know these guys are the course sets up for a lot of birdies so these guys kind of know like you know sweep it if you don't make par and you really got to go for for three on every hole yeah i echo what you said about the early week play you know when when they're in that pod system and you're seeing all these matches uh, particularly on that third match within the pod where all the different combinations of of scenarios are playing out this guy's two and one if this guy's also two and one they're going to go to that that match play playoff or that stroke play playoff for their pod uh you know victor um so i do think this this tournament is unique for obvious reasons it's a tough media product and so you know this will be for the foreseeable future uh a pga tour schedule that will not have a, a match play format uh for a while and and there have been a lot of folks that were whether it was the media or commentators, podcasters, people on Twitter, you know, talking about like, isn't, you know, we're going to miss this. Isn't this great? We, we love the matches. It's a lot of high drama. I'm, I'm a little bit mixed. I think, I think match play has its place and we'll talk later on, like where in, in a future, like where audit come back? Is it this course? Is it this time of year? Is it the same format? There's a lot of things that you could tweak on it. Uh, but overall, I think it's a, a cool event. Um, I don't know, Billy, it, 
for you being a guy that obviously plays stroke play week in, week out as a professional golfer, is it a tough thing to adjust to having to play match play or does it just harken back to U.S. amateurs and, and Walker Cups and, and things like that? This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zero Restriction. For more than 30 years, Zero Restriction has been the leader in outdoor technical golf apparel. Check them out at zerorestriction.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. Thanks to our friends at zerorestriction.com for their support of the Living It Up podcast. I don't think I've played match play as a professional, so it's so it's been a while. Um, you know, never 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 qualified for this WGC. I think it's a lot like I'll put it just in the category of of the Zurich Classic, the the team event, right? Is it is it's a I think refreshing break from the monotony of you know seventy two holes over and over and over again, and so uh, it's certainly a lot of golf. You know, you start on Wednesday and. You know, you got to play three matches. You know, the guys who played um, today played seven rounds in five days. You know, I mean, that's 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 a lot of golf, you, you know, and um, certainly kind of this close to a major. You understand why JT took it off. He said he doesn't like the golf course, so I go beat my brains in and, you know, have to play a lot of golf if I make the, you know, match play bracket piece of it or whatever. So, um, but to to circle back to your question, yeah, I think you you know at the end of the day, lowest strokes wins. It's just lowest strokes in a hole, as opposed to lowest strokes overall. So it's um, you get to take a couple more chances, right? Like George was saying, you know, bogey's the same as triple. So you, you can you can take a chance and and try and make the hero shot when you when you can't do that in, in stroke play. Yeah, and as a as the con like the thought of a team concept to this. I think one of the things they could maybe try to do that would make it a little bit more interesting and particularly give you more golfers on the field on the, on the course later would be to, to sort of figure out a way to do it in conjunction with the PGA tour you and, you know, have, I don't know, you pick guys, there's gotta be, let's, let's assume there's 12 colleges that have at least three players that are on tour and then you add a fourth player who's like their stud in college. So maybe you do it in the, the off season from the college or whatever, and you figure out a way to do teams with match play where they figure out a way to get through. And then the final is going to be like, obviously Washington against, I don't know, some other school to figure out who Washington beats to win everything, but you could organize it that way to have more players on just, I don't know, some other, other sizzle than just single matches. Cause there's just not enough golf. Once you break out into the quarterfinals. It's an interesting one in terms of the format, the pod system was about 10 years ago. I think they said on the broadcast 10 years ago is when they went to this four person pod system. And, and I think it works pretty well, Billy, to your point, seven rounds in five days is, is a, a ton of golf. But I thought to myself, like, could there even be alternatives? Like, why do they need to be 18 hole matches? Can we make them nine hole matches when you're in the pod system? Like you, you could actually be done with that thing in one day, just play 27 holes. I, I, I know, but I know George, like it, it, it comes down to the, to the money and the number of days. Like I, I get and it. The eyeballs on TV screens and someone is writing a very big check to make sure that potentially um, Stephen Ames excluded that we get to the 11th or 12th hole and see some real golf. 
Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. The Stephen Ames reference, uh, again, I think it was nine and eight when uh, Tiger dispatched him after I think he mouthed off and said, like, I, I want to play him or something like I, I can take him on something to that regard. But but where I go to on the nine hole thing is is a little tongue in cheek. But, you know, it, in the end, like it is an entertainment product. It is uh, something that they're putting out there for the, the fans, the people on site, the hospitality tents. And I think particularly in the pod system that could introduce some like almost like fast paced drama. Like you go down one and you're playing a nine hole match like that. That's some frenetic energy that I think could be kind of cool to watch. You, you misspelled legacy when you said entertainment. So be careful. It's not entertainment. It's legacy. And, and the other thing real quick, because uh, I joked with somebody and, and Billy, you can tell me why uh, this would like violate the, the integrity of, of golf. I'd have to imagine Scotty and Rory were, you know, bummed not being not playing obviously in the championship match. And so you get this consolation match, which you're you're basically playing for, you know, quarter of a million dollars or more. I think the I think the difference is about three hundred thousand dollars. And so of course they they want to win that additional money and they've got the pride of doing it. But I joked, like, what if they just looked at each other and were like, uh, I concede you the first six holes if you concede me the next six six holes, and we'll just like play a little six hole match for for three hundred k because I'm freaking tired and I don't want to play any more golf. Yeah, there's no question they retired and didn't want to play any more golf. I mean, like that's just that's just true. You know, I mean they both lost in extra holes in the semifinals and you know, and, and both were up and should have won those, you know, semifinal matches. I mean, Scotty missed a four footer to win. And, um, you know, he, according to Brad Faxon took over two minutes to do it. And, and then, uh, Rory, I think was two up with four to play in regulation and then lost on the first or second extra hole. I don't recall, but, um, after having the advantage, actually, he didn't get it up and down. It hit kind of a bad, kind of layup in my opinion because he cut himself out on the angle to the back pin on the par five but um yeah there's 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 no question they didn't they didn't want to be there i mean i think other than just wanting to have said they beat the other one you you know is 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 the reason to to play that match and um i think rory i I saw a clip or something rory even kind of said it you know well to come out here and beat the number one player in the world you know that makes you blah, blah 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 um so uh, yeah, the the consolation match has never been much of a, a thing, even in this format, since they've had it going this you know way for a, for a few number of years. Yeah, I mean it's just filler because they the TV product would be agonizing. Legacy, not product. Legacy. The the TV broadcast would be agonizing if there was just much two better. Other much better. Yeah, it would be agonizing but you brought up the two minutes for scotty's putt i am like the pga tour on greens has got to do something like it it is getting out of like here's what i honestly want i want from the second the player like replaces their ball like puts their ball down even if the mark is still there but they've set the ball on the green and they're doing their whole routine, but haven't put the ball in play by lifting up their mark. There's a clock. I don't care. And it should be 60 seconds. And at 60 seconds, there's a goddamn air horn. And then that's a stroke. And then it starts again. And the next time is 45 seconds. And they have 45 seconds to put the ball or 
and then it's 30 and they're just strokes adding on and just start this and get in these guys head. You are, you are too good to go this slow on greens. And I do not want to hear, Oh my God, you don't even know how hard these greens are. They've seen them all week. They do practice rounds. These are the best putters in the world. You can go faster. I don't want to hear it. Max Homa has caught a lot of shrapnel. His looked really, really, really bad. And everyone's like, well, it was just 51 seconds. But like, let's say he's doing, I don't know, how many putts does a pro average around? 33? So 33 times 51 seconds is about 28 extra minutes of golf. Like, no, like that's horrible. Where to begin? So first of all, uh, the presence of your coin doesn't make the ball in play or not in play. Uh, you know, you put the ball down, it's in play. Now they've solved that rule, right? Because if the ball moves, once you've marked it and, and replaced it, there's no penalty and you put it back and, and whatever. So I, I see your point. Um, just, just, just clarifying the rules for, for our listeners there. This, I, I don't disagree with your premise, George, but there's just no way to, so, so I won't put the ball down until right before I hit it. Just solve the problem in your scenario, right? I won't put the ball down while I'm marching around it and, you know, looking at it and whatever, whatever, whatever. So um, there's, there's, there's a million ways to game any rule. And and that's, you know, that's what happens with being on the clock and being, you know, slow play. And we, we've talked about some of this before, so we don't need to go into that, but um, I, I don't, I don't disagree with, with your, with your sentiment that, you, you know, um, 51 seconds to hit a, three or four footer that is your second putt on the green, by the way. Right. So you've already read the green to some degree previously. So um, does, does seem like a lot. Um, two minutes in, in, in Scheffler's case, I mean, he had to move his mark. And, and so, so, I mean, he got a pretty darn good look, you know, Sam missed it in the jaws six inches short. I mean, it didn't, it didn't seem much other than, you know, left edge and hit it in the middle of the hole to me, but um you, you, we do have to speed up in some ways. I think in other ways, this is golf at the highest level for the highest amount of money that exists, and guys are going to take their time as a result. Yeah, I think the the video that was you know sort of spurred this this discussion was Max Homa and Aimpoint, and, and Aimpoint I will admit is very tough to look at, particularly when the camera is just fixating on a guy. Um, I tend to think that it's it's just a bad look. And I, I would struggle to just point at that and say, like, those players are slow or Max is slow. I think if Max were to have read that by crouching down behind his line, you know, from behind the golf ball and then walked around the other side of the hole through his through line and then looked at it there, like that may have taken a minute and 10 seconds. But we wouldn't have like seen the optics of like, oh, wow, this is kind of painful that he's standing over his line and then turning around and standing over his line. Like it just, it looks really weird. And so my push on pace of play in general is that you've got to consider the totality of the pace of play. Like, are you behind? Are you actually off time par? Are you holding up the group in front or behind or whatever it may be, right? And so in this case too, it was clear like Mackenzie Hughes, his playing partner was like ready to move to the next hole. He had already walked off. Cause you see these things from time to time where, you know, historically, it was folks like Kevin Na or even Bryson DeChambeau when they're clearly like almost pissing off their playing partners because of their overall pace of play, not just a 
a one shot or, or, you know, a tricky putt that you got to look at from multiple angles when it's a sustained sort of, that is your routine and it is dreadfully slow. That's when I think everyone, and, and I've advocated for this on all of our debates on this. I just think they should publish it publicly. Like this is how much time it took everyone when it was their time to play. You know, you could even have a shot link algorithm, figure this out for you. Like when did they have the opportunity to, to play and how long did it take them on average? Yeah. But I mean, even that, right. If they started doing that, as Billy noted, guys would figure out a way to game it. And I mean, and there's certain things you've heard about players, you know, realizing, Oh, Hey, it's kind of slower today. And like, they will, they will literally like, I will just walk slower to the ball. And, and like that, I get right. Like if, if you are a fast player, meaning like the second you kind of get over the ball, you see it, you feel it, you're ready to go one or two practice swings, pull the trigger and and move on. Like I, I totally get that mentality. If you are stuck behind, and we won't name names of some of the notoriously slow players on tour, you know, you get, you see it on the T sheet and you're like, Oh boy, like bring an extra sandwich. This is going to be rough. And, and so, you know, like I just have to slow myself down. I'll walk to the ball slower. I'll walk to the green slower everything you can to try to make it feel more in the flow of what's in front of you. But like, I, I agree. Like they, this has got to get fixed and it's got to get fixed. And this is the biggest issue because I see it at the junior level golf and junior level golf is even worse than these pros because they're not good yet, but they're doing all the same routines and putting three times and not two times. So add in another 30 minutes and then every pre-shot routine, before in the fairway and like it is it is a, it is going to strangle the game of golf from within itself and anyone who defends it needs to go drown deep in the ocean well we could spend eternities on on slow play it is a topic that i think you know everyone's got hot hot takes on and you know uh, until there are you know some fixes proposed like you know Penalties. we'll see this we'll see this year with actually the pitch clock in major league baseball because i actually think yeah. That's going to like change fan, uh, like the almost like fans perception of like time. And it may spurn this idea of, yeah, we need to speed up all of our sports in some way, shape or form. Yeah. I want a shot clock on the green, like in basketball and then fans like imagine Scottsdale. They're sitting there five, four, three, <laughs> two. And the guy's just sitting over the puppy and like his, his head is exploded at this point. Right. And then and it just stroke added and then it's 45 and then they go again oh so in general i'm okay with this idea i just think that there's one caveat kind of like you know so so billiards has this right you have a clock in it for every shot but they actually get an extension and i don't know how many they get right but they have a particularly difficult shot and and they're allowed to enact their extension and kind of add 30 seconds to the clock or something or whatever it is i don't know the rules of billiards in and out but um I've I've always kind of been an advocate of like, I don't have any problem with there being this like clock on every shot or or whatever, but there's a couple of times around where you need a little extra time because you're in a tough spot or, you, you know, you hit it wherever. And, and, you know, so I, as, as long as there's some, so I think, I think even when you're on the clock, personally, I, I personally think when you get put on the clock in the current rules that you should have like one extension 
where you can kind of like send a signal to the official and and get 30 more seconds because this shot's harder. Easy fix. You you basically allocate what should every, let's say par 72. We'll save, should there even be par for a different conversation? But we're going to say par is 72. And so that each shot is allocated whatever, call it 75 seconds per shot. You know, whether it's the drive, fairway, whatever, from when you're address the ball, go, the whole thing, figure it out. And so you can bank time, right? Love so you're, you're on the tee, boom, step up, 22 seconds. Well, you've just banked 53 seconds. So then you get out and you find like, oh man, like I am stuck in, I can pitch out, I can do go backwards. I got to figure this out. Well, you've got time banked because you've been a good player up to that point and you're still equipped, you know, on pace, boom, time banked, all good play and move on easy fix. Perfect. So then there's some amount of strokes added to you at the end. If you're over. Yes. In the total of 18 holes. Is no, that, no, no, I mean, no. Cause each, some, each shot, right. Cause if thing, you end like, up, if you end up over, that means on shot. Any shot though. Like what if, what if, what if my second shot of the tournament is like this tough one where I need extra time. Like, do I not get the opportunity to like, you know, make it back on the next 16 holes or. I, I could, I could allow basically like, all right, noted shot. Number two was tricky. It it took extra time. So you got behind, but then you caught up and you, you were good. So by the time you finished, you had, you know, either even or banked time, therefore no stroke penalty. But if you finish and you're behind, then for each of those shots that put you behind, you got to take your medicine. We're, we're going to be here forever. But, um, you, you know, I think that uh, th th there are no perfect answers to this solution other than just people playing faster, right? Yes. There, there's almost no regulation that's going to make this occur in a way that's equitable and like, you know, you know, easy to, well, no, I mean, of course, money. I mean, of course, money, of course, I mean, stroke penalties is the way to do it and not actually money. Money money is not the way to do it because guys will write checks. Well, no, and, stroke penalty you, is money. That's I know. Money. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. The stroke is actually real money, like not that just these fines for whatever. Dollars. Or $650,000. We'll, we'll tie it. We'll tie it. We could, well, we could, yeah, we could talk on this in forever. Here, no, no, here's what, here's what I'll say. And I go back to like public shaming. I'll just do it on this. And here's my new idea. Both publish the numbers, but like, you have to wear like a poop emoji on your lapel because you were like, you were the poopiest slow player that week or like you were in the bottom 5%. So like, Oh, look at that. He's got the poop emoji on his, on his lapel. That, that means like he's uh he's uh, one of the slow guys. They can't do that because they won't let you be sponsored by UPS anymore. Ooh, ooh tough one there. Dude, that was, hey, I want, they got a doo-doo brown logo. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And but I wanted to talk about guys that shined in this event. Obviously, Sam Burns wins. That is his fifth win in 46 starts. You know, it's interesting. He, he should be maybe one of those guys that is in the same conversation as, you know, Max Homa. Young guys clipping off victories with seeming seeming ease uh, in, in the last few years. So I, I do look at him as like he, he ought to be in that conversation of like, you know, best young players, perhaps players that you'd look to as like, you know, a guy that, that is going to win a major in, in the next few years. I, I don't, I don't know how well his game is going to hold up to major championships. He's obviously he's, he's won on some big golf courses. He's won some big events, 
Um, but I, but I don't know if he fits in that category, but then Cam Young is the other one in the finals, um, starts the week off really strong. He's got, uh, Webb Simpson's old caddy on the bag. So very experienced caddy that did a lot of good for Scotty Scheffler when he got a very experienced caddy on the bag and he clipped off a number of victories, including a win at the masters. So I would wonder if we're, we're seeing, uh, you know, potentially a, a Cam Young maturity and, you know, he'll take all that game and start to bring it to a level that uh, everyone expects in terms of winning and also, you know, contending at major events. Yeah, that'll be interesting to follow for sure. You know, there's a large case to be made that Paul Tesori, who is now with Cam Young, made Webb Simpson to be Webb Simpson. Um, you know, Paul worked for VJ forever and then went to work for Webb when he was like 210th in the world. And even if you have heard, you know, Paul talk about it, it's like he didn't even know why he did that, right? He left VJ at like coming off of just winning a FedEx Cup and, you know, up and back from number one in the world and, and all this stuff to go go work for for Webb. Now he probably got a little better quality of life because VJ hits balls 366 days out of the year. And um Paul and VJ lived in the same town. So Paul worked with him 366 days a year nearly. But um so so at any rate, you know, Paul did wonders for Webb and 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 really became quite the the duo out there for you know the better part of a decade uh, or more and um so it'll be interesting to see if he can do the same thing for you know for cam young i mean he's 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 a terrific caddy terrific guy who, who's been out there for for a long long time ton of experience and you know it doesn't doesn't strike me that he really had a whole lot to do this week i mean cam started the week with th nine straight threes I, I don't know that that's like Paul's going to take any credit for that. Um, Paul can probably take some credit somewhere for, for beating Rory in the semis, but uh, I will say it was interesting. And, and I caught just kind of the end of the semis and then, you know, was, was mostly in basketball this afternoon, but um, they interviewed Cam after he won against Rory in the semis. And the interview was very much like a guy who won a tournament. And I'm sitting there going, this guy didn't win a tournament yet. Like I, he beat Rory. He was like, that's a big deal to have beaten Rory. Don't get me wrong. But like, this guy's got more golf to play. Like, and, and the tone of it was just so, it, I mean, I don't know if that is a thing or isn't a thing, but the tone of that interview and then seeing him, you know, when I checked the board four down through 10, like that added up in my head. Like it was very much a, you know, there was there was no reference even by Cam that there was more golf to play in this day in this tournament. It was kind of like I just beat Roy McIlroy. That's a really cool you know kind of kind of thing, and that's totally true, and good on him. But I, I have to wonder if, if if that was kind of the you know if the finals the final match was kind of the letdown in a sense after having you know beaten Rory. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. I didn't hear the interview you're referring to, but I, I could totally see how a young player um, like Cam Young could sort of be like, well, climbed the mountain, took down Rory, and kind of overlooked that, like, uh, not yet. So uh, I am curious to see how this new partnership is going to work. I mean, we definitely saw whether it was coincidental or due to the, the new voice and strategy, but 
I mean, Ted Scott jumps on Scotty's bag and he blows through the stratosphere last year. Um, and that's kind of a similar story as to, to Sori, you know, long time tour veteran seen a lot, uh, on tour, definitely worked with a very quirky, uh, personality. So no, knows has how to manage, uh, a bag. And, you know, I, I think Scotty was pretty complimentary about how Ted helped him in, in events and moments. So, um, I think that this is a reason to probably get bullish on Cam Young. Um, I don't know that you want to pencil him in for sort of Scotty's year last year, but um, I think, you know, he, he had a lot of second place finishes on tour last year. And he had five second place finishes last year. So I don't see any reason to not kind of see him build on that and probably break through one or two. Yeah. I think the other, the other thing that comes kind of to the, you know, Ted Scott joining Scotty Scheffler and Paul Tessori joining Cam Young is just, the realization of those players that someone of that high esteem from, from the bag side is willing to leave what they had to come to me. Um, I think that that gives you an injection of confidence, maybe a little bit of pressure, you know, subconsciously or consciously internal pressure, but, but just, just even confidence that, um, that that guy would want to work with me, you know, and okay. So maybe I, maybe I am really that good. Maybe my upside is really that much. You know, and and so there's there's some intangible stuff for there there for sure. So I wanted to talk since this is the final WGC match play event, and for the foreseeable future, we will not have match play uh, on on the 24 uh, PGA Tour schedule. You know, if this comes back, where ought it be played? Where on the schedule, in terms of when on the schedule? Um, is this pod format good? Is this the right number of players? Like, I'm curious, George, I'll go to you. You know, if you were a uh, PGA tour commissioner and you felt like you wanted to get match play back on the schedule, how, how would you wave your magic wand and make it happen? As like I said, I mean, I kind of would try to figure, and I hate to use the word gimmick, but I, I think you need to figure out a way to sort of add a little bit more sizzle and more importantly, have more players on the course the last day um that's why i was saying you, you do teams like you colleges and you play through the round robin setup and you sort of go through it and you know there's four four players per college so that on the final whoever makes it to the finals you've got four twosomes on the course you know that that's enough to sort of fill a broadcast keep some action going back and forth keep it a little interesting um and and then the other thing, and I mean, I like I said, I really like this course for match play. I think it's like really well done. I don't know like how well attended it is because it it doesn't really, it doesn't look like a course that really lends itself to galleries and following people around and everything else. So I guess the next thing would be, do you, do you make this sort of some kind of like really exclusive fan experience sort of thing? So you you limit crowds, but you sort of make it more expensive to go. And then you start going to like really cool places. We don't get to see a lot that don't want to put the infrastructure up that don't want to have all the stuff and sort of take match play. Obviously let's to a pine Valley um, to a national golf links, you know, some really cool courses that do not want to put up with hospitality and this and that. But if we limit it to, you know, a limited number of fans that are following the groups 
and we get to go see these cool courses and it's really more than anything a made for tv um legacy establishing event then i think it could survive but basically it means you're gonna need a sponsor who wants it they're gonna have to write big checks and then you're gonna have to get buy-in from some of the players for some format and get buy-in from some some cool courses that i think people would love to see i don't think you can have a team event george right i understand that those are bad that having teams you know play golf against one another that's not a thing that we're allowed to do right now um at least in another league so i don't i don't know but the, you know the 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 while you're scenario is compelling it's in the like will never happen world right pine valley will never do this right yeah um you know national golf links probably will never do that you know i mean i just so so i don't know how exactly it works in real life i think really what it has to come down to is the players have to want it and have to want to do it right and and they have to be more excited than they were in this format that, that I was watching this week, you know, more, more, um, you know, I mean, why is it fun to watch the Ryder cup? Because the players are so into it, right? Because the players are fist pumping and fist bumping and, you know, really what, what, intense on it. Right. What's the difference between the Ryder cup and this week? Well, intensity, but you're going to say teams. But- but the, yeah, yeah, I understand. So, so, so yeah, I get it. I think that that's, that, that's obviously, a piece. but yeah, but, um, so I just think that it's, it, it's one of those things, if the players want it to happen, they can go make it happen, but they have to be willing to show up. They have to be willing to put a little more like, I don't, I, I just, it just, it just, it just lacked like, it just lacked bravado to me. Like it, it lacked like the, like I'm, really excited that i made that putt right it, it it looked like a bit of a bromance out there with everybody kind of you know hugging after they they finished i mean it's just like become the lpga tour where we hug every time we finish playing golf and and i'm not against that in general but i mean it's just like just i don't know it just it just i i get they're all friends and and maybe it's more you know more fun to to play on a team with your friends and play against your friends or or whatever but it just you know i just even look i mean just some of the shots i saw some of the reactions i saw like it's it's not gonna it's not gonna be something without it being more intense where i went uh to like where on the schedule or when in the schedule i thought about this as either you could make the tour championship match play and you could find out a, a way to do pods and buys and have a bracket have a 16 or 18 man sort of, you know, showdown after they play into a pod, you know, break through a pod, give the top eight guys a, a buy or whatever it may be. Like you could come up with some interesting formats for the tour championship if they wanted to make it match play. The other thing I thought about is like in the fall that we've talked about this, like, could you make this not just a one-off event, but like you go to these other courses and only the top 16 guys at the tour championship as an example, like go into this, match play finals or, or, you know, some other match play event and it could be played out over a number of weeks at different courses or I, I don't know. I, I'm probably talking myself in, into all the reasons why it wouldn't be a good TV product. Uh, but I just think you could reimagine match play either as the tour championship or as something in the fall. And it sort of 
already into the quote unquote silly season uh, there as well. So you could do well, some I mean, silly I, things. I think going to the the intensity angle is if I mean there are there are some people who believe that match play is the pinnacle of of golf competition. That that is how you that is how golf was intended to always be competed, and you play stroke play merely to find out your handicap. And the rest of your time is just playing matches at your club. Um, and so then I would say that if you want the intensity, you make this, whoever wins this is automatically into the tour championship. Like just Pasco, you are one of the final 30 automatically. You are into all the majors automatically if you win this event, you know, for one year, there's no five-year exemption or something crazy. Um, maybe, I mean, I guess they could do whatever they wanted, but you, you make winning this a really, really big deal. Now, the beauty of that, in my opinion, is, you know, for your Scotties and Rory's and everything else, like yawn, they're going to be in the top 30. They're into the majors. They're good to go. But for your Cam Youngs and for a lot of other guys who are, you know, maybe sitting there at 62nd in the world or whatever else, and maybe not automatically into all these really cool things, which obviously if you make it to the tour championship, that vaults you into all kinds of stuff for the next season. I think you could see a lot of intensity coming out from the lower end of the bracket and just have chaos. So maybe in this way, it's not for the top 64. Maybe it's for the next 64. Or, you know, I mean, because like, I mean, right, the top 50 are in all the majors out of being top 50 in the OWGR. Yeah. So there's only 16 guys or 14 guys. I mean, more than that this year because of some people not being invited to play. But, you know, so so kind of all the stuff, all the all the carrots that you just laid out, most people in this field already have. The overwhelming majority of these people already have. So... Maybe we make it for number 65 through, you know, 128. And we have some of those carrots that you just hit on, right? And so the now the hundredth guy in the world wins and he's all of a sudden in all the majors that he maybe was in one of them, maybe, maybe most likely none of them yet, unless he won the year previous or whatever. Um, so I don't know. Maybe maybe that'd be, you know, a, a different way to get something going. Yeah, and I cannot claim uh, that I came up with this. So hat tip to my buddy over at the uh, the Capital Golf Club. We've got a, a chat that is quite lively, and he came up with this idea. Make it so that the match play determines whether you keep your tour card for next year. Imagine you put those people in the 70 to 125 category, and you say, boys, if you get through this bracket, you have a place to play next year. And if you don't, We've got this other tour called the Cord Ferry Tour. You're going to go play on that one. Or, you know, you're not going to get into X number of events. You're going to have a different qualification status for events next year than those that don't make it through this, like, you know, bracket of death or or bracket of, you know, consequence. I think that would be tremendous content. Would watch. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, again, if you want the intensity, you got to figure out the right carrot. I don't think it's just strictly dollars. I think it's all the unlocking, you know, the the extra secret doors that get you to all the really cool stuff would be, would be fantastic. Um, but speaking of past champions, the PGA tour just doesn't get how petty and pathetic it looks. 
when it lists the past champions of this and it just blatantly skips years. Like this isn't world war two where we didn't hold events for a reason. They are literally being like no event in 2020, no event in like 2018. It's guys. It's like, you're going to unwrite your own history just because they went somewhere else. And I mean, I I don't even want to get into, and I'm not going to dive into like, well, I mean, arguably you could say this one was diluted because plenty of top 50 players, top 64 players weren't even allowed to tee it up in this event. Um, But to do that, where they post a graphic of past champions and they just ignore, like literally just omit the year. I mean, this is, this is literally like eighth grade JBBS. It's, it's ridiculous. Defend your boy, Billy, defend your boy. I, I, I don't know who my boy is in that sense, but I guess you're going for Jay Monahan, and um, I can't. Uh, T- to be fair, though, this was a golf channel, not necessarily like a PGA Tour website or list, right? So this was a golf channel, in my view, like editorial decision for them to say, here are here are past champions. Could you, and could they you didn't... tell me who has partial owners, right? No, no, I, I, of the, I'm of with the you. golf I'm channel. With you. No, okay. I mean, yes. So that is that is fair. This was not a graphic on the PGA Tour.com, for instance. This was in the telecast. This was, you know, NBC Golf Channel. Um, you know, I don't know which day it was and in which, you know, so which actual channel it was on, but I was NBC owns golf channel and the PGA Tour owns part of golf channel and whatever. Um but I mean, let's just be honest, right? Like they didn't, they didn't, they didn't make that decision really on their own, right? There was, there was some, there was something where we're going to exclude this. Um, that was a decision that was not, you know, made solely by a NBC Golf Channel executive without, you know, thinking that it was something that Jay wanted to be done. And I couldn't agree more that it's just petty. It's, I, I, and I keep going back to this: is if. Bubba Watson just retired and said, I don't want to play golf anymore. I don't need to play golf. I'm going to play golf, you know, at the Saturday skins game in Pensacola, Florida. And that's where my golf's going to be. His name would still be on the list. Right. If, 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 if Cam, uh, Cam Smith decided to go fishing for a year, he'd still be allowed to play the PGA tour next year. He's got a five-year exemption. You know, I, I mean, these, these, that's, that's just where I think like, I mean, I get it that you broke a regulation. And so maybe, you know, there's a consequence to breaking a regulation. And I still go back to Cam Smith didn't break any regulations, but it is just incredibly, I don't even know the right word. I mean, I mean, petty doesn't seem strong enough. I think it's just ludicrous and it's, it's gone beyond petty and and it's just juvenile, juvenile, you know, it's just, yeah, you, you you can't. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 we oh, it's it it, it it doesn't seem like the way you win this war to me. That's 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 the way that I think about it. Right. If I'm if I'm Jay Monahan, being juvenile, being petty, erasing these things like it it it, it it's not the way that you win this war. You, you you win the war by being above your competition, by doing it better than your competition, by being more eloquent, by being 
more classy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And some of these things just continue to do the opposite. Yeah, I mean, I I equate it a lot in like using history and everything else as an analogy. Like the PGA Tour, while it portends to be member run, is coming across more and more and more totalitarian. Just the edict of Jay burying things in regulations. If you do this, you can't do this. If you can't wear a sponsor logo of a sponsor who sponsors someone on a non-recognized tour and all these things, they're just getting woven in and buried. And you know what? Like no one really ever raced to go to totalitarian governments and organizations. They always try to leave those. And it's like, it's like he's trying to strengthen his grip instead of doing what you're saying, being like, no, we're going to show you why it's just better here without being like, you will listen to me and you will believe it. And you will say it every day, every morning when you wake up, I pledge allegiance to Jay. This is better. And if I leave, I will suffer consequences. That's what he's doing. And like, dude, stop, just shut up and be better. And all of these little things, it, it shows like, even though the press is doing yeoman's work and wants to dance on Liv's grave every opportunity they get, and maybe it's real, maybe it's not, like, it's hard to say, but, like, the tour is still very clearly terrified of them. And even though if you take the press at face value, it's like, dude, what are you worried about? Look at the press. Like, they can't even figure their own way out of a paper bag right now if I if I read Yeoman Lynch accurately. Why are you so scared? Why are you still taking measures? But if I look at just the actions and not the words of people who are trying to curry favor, I'm like, dude, there's something real over there. And even if we can't see it yet as fans, you know, if we assume the the tour is big brains and smart people looking at all the angles, like there's something to see there because they wouldn't keep doing what they're doing if there wasn't. Well, there's probably no better segue than to to go to our opposite field event because the PGA Tour is all about prime playing opportunities and and actually the opposite field events in the last you know Billy you could probably tell me why this is they seem to produce a lot of winners that when you when you look to them you'll say oh this is this you know shows someone is going to do something down the line whether that's Joel Damon and you know winning in in an opposite field event or or others. Uh, Tony Finau won an opposite field event as as his first victory. Um, I tend to like these because you're seeing, I think, George, you've said this a lot, like you're seeing the youth, you're seeing perhaps players come from overseas of the DP World Tour or elsewhere. You're, you're seeing some, you know, sponsor exemptions that that might go out to 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 people that are not going to get to play these full field events. And it leads me to to the question of like, you know, obviously hat tip to Matt Wallace. He wins in the Dominican Republic. I blasted him for his shirts. We can we can table that one for another day. But you know, Billy, what 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 should we be thinking about for opposite field events? Because the schedule is getting wholesale rewritten for next year, and I think there's there's little to no information about what these these events, you know, Dominican and Puerto Rico, et cetera, look like for next year. Well, Matt wore a nice solid black uh, shirt. You'll be happy to know, Brian, uh, to 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 win at the Corrales Championship in 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 the Dominican this week on Sunday, but I really don't have a clear understanding of, of the opposite field events going forward. My only assumption can be that they cease to exist. Um, 
I don't think we're going to play opposite these designated events. You know, the, the, the opposite field events were created to be opposite WGCs, to, to continue playing opportunities in so much as the PGA Tour was going to increase the ability for non-members to be playing the week of a WGC, right? I mean, as much as the WGCs are run by this international federation of PGA Tours and whatever, I mean, they're all played in America, you, you know, for the most part over the years and, um, you know, pretty much run as a PGA Tour event. So it was like, well, we're going to, you know, have these limited fields and we're not only are they going to be limited, but it's only going to be like 50 PGA Tour members are going to get in because we have the overseas people and, you know, we have Japan players getting in this one and Korean players getting in this one and whatever, whatever, whatever the opposite fields came along to continue those playing opportunities for the, you know, mid to lower level player. Those, those we talk about thirds oftentimes when we've talked about breaking down the membership of, of any tour. And, and so that second third and and third, third getting, getting to play. And I, I don't see a path forward for them. Um, the, uh, Butterfield championship in Bermuda, uh, does have a date in November, according to their website. Uh, e even though, you know, we don't know much about the fall, I, I think we probably could go piece it together if we wanted to and just kind of look up tournament websites uh, individually because they're selling packages and stuff like that. They can't wait until, you know, September to to sell hospitality and pro-am spots and all that stuff. So um, it does appear that there will be a, a, a tournament in Bermuda. I have to assume that's going to be opposite CJ Cup. Or Zozo, one one of the two. I don't know where those are going to fall or how they're going to exist, whether or not they're going to exist. Uh, it, it doesn't appear there'll be FedEx Cup points available. Will that just be an exhibition type tournament or or whatever? I, I don't know. But you know, so much so as we talk about, we talk about Puerto Rico. We talk about um, Dominican this week. We we talk about uh, Barbasol in Kentucky. And then Reno, uh, the the Stableford competition out out in Lake Tahoe. Now, I don't know where they go. I mean, the the only one that I really see a path forward for would be Kentucky because they play opposite the British Open. So, I mean, I think last year maybe they had one opposite the Scottish Open too. So I just I I don't know where these go. I don't I don't know how they fit in the schedule for for twenty four. I don't think you're going to play an opposite field event, opposite the Genesis, opposite the API, opposite Memorial, you know, as these designated events, I, I don't think you're going to play opposite fields there. So, um, you know, is, we'll see. Is, yeah. Is there potentially, and, and again, I'm, I'm spitballing here, a combination of like, Hey, we have the corn Ferry tour does some like combination of, you know, players not playing in designated events, play in the corn fairy tour if they want to play that week and there's some amount of like yeah the points that you earn here are all fungible and they can get moved around or something to that effect yeah i mean when we when we first talked about this you know kind of what they ended up calling the designated events and 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 we were kind of spitballing and i was telling you guys that you know i i created this with my instructor you know on a on a napkin kind of thing um eight eight plus years ago or whatever six eight years ago um, that's exactly how I envisioned it is that you had kind of this designated event, you know, um, tour or, or schedule. 
and then you had these, you know, regular events and there was some corn fairy shuffle into that. And there was some kind of, you know, PGA tour shuffle inside of the bottom of the designated events. And, and so I think that you, you could do that. Um, it, it certainly gets tricky from, a you know, how to give out points and how to make that fair and, you know, that, that kind of stuff. But I mean, it's just math, right? We can go figure out the math. I mean, even just using, you know, some of the field rating type systems, right? We could, we could figure out how many points maybe should be available each week or, or whatever. And maybe it might be a, a fluctuating thing based on the strength of the field, based on how much the winner gets or something. I don't know, but we could, we could figure it out. And, and so I think that there's, there is a possibility for that going forward, but I, I, I don't see that happening would, would be my crystal ball, you know, right now is I, I do not see a, a mix of the corn fairy and the, you know, third, third of the PGA tour kind of thing occurring. So I think the opposite fields just go out, go out to pasture really. I mean, I think, you, you know, the opposite fields we've never played, I think playing opposite the Arnold Palmer invitational was the first time we ever played opposite a PGA tour event, right? They were always opposite, you know, a major, um, and, and, and only the, the British, cause that was on another continent and, and then opposite the, the WGCs. So I don't, I don't see really a, a path and unless there's a, you know, sponsor that, that drops out, you know, because they don't want to be a normal full field event and and one of these you know opposite fields takes the place you know then their sponsor wants to wants to kick up and be more than than they might be able to fill in but i i think opposite fields are done see i would love for the non-designated events basically you take because there's gonna be i think what two or three and then designated event then like two or three then designated events there's like a social cadence and so we're told you're you basically have you take what you're like, the winner of any non-designated event is automatically into the next designated event. And then you take like the next average, whoever is the average in the top 10. So the, the you take them and you like the top 10 top finishers of the non-designated events between designated events, less the winners, they move up. The, the last 10 of the designated event moves down and that's movement between the PGA and the designated events on a week to week basis. And then for the designated, for the non-designated events, you know, the bottom 10 drop out and the top 10 of the corn fairy move up. So you have constant swishing, like moving around of these events. And the, the thing that the tour should latch onto is if you get, you know, let's say a hotshot college kid, who's going to start in the corn fairy, even though they know we're going to get starts and all these other things, but Hey, they're going to scuffle around. It might take them a hot minute to get their their legs and figure it all out so they kind of end up down. But if they get hot, you know, they're going to play up, then they're going to get in. And if they're still hot, they could play up. And then they could be in a designated event by the end of the year where you're going to have the top talent, young, old, otherwise, basically kind of moving back and forth all the time. And there's going to be, for TV production purposes, you know, watching Xander and Rory and Scotty and Patrick Cantlay um, who between now and 2063 will be ranked fourth in the world for all eternity. 
like that part's gonna get boring, but man, the shuffle at the bottom fighting off relegation, like those dudes really having to play hard. And most importantly, that gives you some drama in the middle of the round because those guys will have all gone off first, who would arguably would be in the last 10 because it's no cut. So everyone's playing. So those guys are still like, they're basically fighting, kicking and clawing while the leader might be through the fourth or fifth hole. And like, there's no drama for that yet. So you actually get a telecast with some meaningful stuff happening early. And then you switch to basically the back nine where so far we've had some good horse races. So hopefully that would continue on. Yeah. I, I mean, I like the idea of shuffling for sure. I think the devil's in the details, the things that I would look to are and these, these like sort of game within the games have happened with British open qualifying, right? It would be like X event, you know, top three or top four, not otherwise qualified. They're going to get their, their ticket. I think there could definitely be some game within the game, you know, leaderboards that they could create with like, Hey, here's the cutoff for the next, you know, cadence of designated events and where these guys might might shuffle into. So I'm, I'm with you, George. I think that would be some good, uh, not chaos, but actually good uh, storylines that you can tell up and down and across the leaderboards. Yeah. And the best part would be for some of the very smug people at the very, very top of golf, who, when all these things were came out and were running around telling me, this is how it has to be. And they're like, well, look, if you don't like it, just play better. Well, you know what, buddy? If you played last 10 and you're out of the designated events and you're back down to, you know, general population and not in your like, you know, gated community. Hey, buddy, just play better. You'll get right back in there. You got it, little guy. Let's do it. Like uh, there is there is a very yeah, there is a very justice. interesting leaderboard right now sort of shaping up where, you know, almost week on week you're hearing, you know, people talk about like, hey, where where is the top 50 line right now? And who are those like kind of quote unquote big names that are, you know, floating way, way down that, that board. And if they don't get their act together in the next few months, they could be on the outs of this, uh, this new power structure. Yeah. I think there needs to be more consternation, you know, more churn um, and, and not just the year to year churn, right. Not just the, you know, 18 guys up and 18 guys down at the top 50, but more, more of this like, you know, cyclical, month to month in between designated events, um, you know, less people qualified for them all and more people kind of playing in and out of them. That's um, totally the right direction. And that in, happens in today, opinion. Billy, you can, you can tell us like the reshuffles happen and, and to the, to the everyday fan, we may never know that how the reshuffle happened and where people fell, but to players that is like, you know, exactly what your category is and when the reshuffle periods are and, when you had a really good week that it came at a good time or a bad time or what have you. So I think only making those reshuffles more apparent to the everyday fan, I think could go a long way. Yeah. I mean, like I have no idea what they are, but I, I think there needs to be, because if they don't have more in-season shuffling, and I, I would argue consequential shuffling, 10, 10 players, um, it's, it's going to be kind of a self-insulating vortex for a lot of these guys to just sort of keep staying up where, you know, Hey, you can finish bottom 10 one week, but then if you string together, you know, a couple top 25s, maybe two or three top 25s, that's going to be enough to just sort of buttress you in, but like, no one cares. Like, no, you're, you don't matter, but you're just, 
You're just going to buffet yourself in there. And that's why I think if you have that bad week, then like, boom, see ya, you're down and play your way back in. And again, like, hey, it could be a bad week. It could be an injury. It could be anything. But that's cool. If that's what it is, hey, you're going to play your way right to the top of the leaderboard of those other events. And then you're right back in and you can sit there and be like, man, yeah, that's that's how you do it. You just play good golf. Hit it fewer, than, fewer times than everybody else. Hashtag play better. I think uh, you yeah. you you will you will remind us of that often, Billy. You're you're complaining about your spot. Play better. You don't like uh you don't like where you sit on the designated event list. Cool. Play better. Uh, but I think that's as good a segue as we will get. We have these segments called Great Golf Debates. Uh, for our listeners, uh, we would love for you to suggest some topics. If you go back through the archives, we've tackled a lot of topics. I'm usually right. George usually wrong. That's usually how it works. Um, but we've tackled a lot of topics and today I want to start with one that is, you know, we, we just came off the match play. It seems like every time there's a Ryder cup or president's cup, there's always the, the, you know, quasi annoying thing where people, you know, measure the length of their putter and they give odd looks and the, you know, the crowd gets into it. And the question I'll start with you, Billy is sort of to concede or not to concede. What is the appropriate length of putt where, you know, it matters, obviously it matters if it's uphill, downhill, side hill, it's got any break in it. But but you'll often see pros, you know, and I remember I watched, it's funny, a, a Xander Shoffley video, and he was basically like, yeah, if there's no break and it's like within four feet, we're, we're all pros. We do this for a living. Like, just give him the pot. Let's move on. Let's 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 keep this thing rolling. I think there's so much situational, you know, information that goes into answering this question. I mean, I mean certainly when you start talking about 18 inches okay those should all be good you know you get to two feet i mean like you depending on the situation depending on the um you know the break in it you know certainly get to three feet and like you know maybe straight up the hill okay whatever but kind of downhill left edge like that's a that's a very different thing um and and i think that the other piece of it you know from 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 xander's point there is that while yeah you're going to make them all there's something about the cumulative stress that you don't want to give away right the, the the cumulative stress of having to go through that routine of having to know that if i miss i lose the hole that okay and then i made it okay and then you you have to do that on six and you have to do that on eight you have to do that on 12 and 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 then on 15 it it, it boils over and you don't make a good stroke or whatever i don't know but there's just, I, I don't think there's a magic distance. I don't think there's a magic answer to this. I think it's so situational. It's so, um, where are we in the match? You know, how, you know, has, has he hit all of these in the middle or has he, has he lipped in a couple of, you know, three footers, you know, uh, early in the round. And you, you, there's just, there's, there's just way too many things to put a, a very neat bow on this answer. So it's, it, it's very situational and that's that's the best I can do. I think what was it famously you you give them everything inside of you know four or five feet until about the twelfth hole, and then it's like all right now you got to put it. Um, we played a match this weekend where the conditions were tough. Greens might have been rolling six liberally, and you absolutely had to smash anything to hope to get it to the hole. And there was uh, some consternation. The group ahead of our group was very, very cordial, very much the rules kind of Billy laid out like, hey, guy made a couple on the first, like, yeah, we got it. We don't need to see that anymore. 
But in the other group, like literally like 15 inches, like we need to see that. And arguably like and in ours, as it got close to getting closed out, we're like, hey man, you just got to do it. And like they were missing because like you had to hit it so hard. It was crazy. There was The greens were so wet and you were, I mean, almost breaking your wrist on putts outside of like 15, 20 feet. Just like you had to smash and get a good hip turn to try to get it to the hole. And it was like, man, it's total chaos out here. And so um, I, I'm always like, I don't need to see it. I only see it until I need to see it. Um, but this was a day conditions dictated, like, sorry, man, <laughs> I, I gotta see it. Um, because it was bananas. Yeah. A, a couple things. One, there was a video early in the week. Will's all missed, you know, what looked like a three foot pot, but he, he certainly has some, some, I don't want to say it too loud. Yippiness with with some of his uh short pots and you know the joke was like i'm gonna need to see everything from him 18 inches like yep you're gonna you're gonna have to put that one in the back of the hole oh eight eight inches yeah you're gonna have to also put that one in the back of the hole kurt kidiyama's ball at the last at arnold palmer like sorry man like i gotta you gotta validate that (laughs) like just that's hey bro and the other thing, and this came up actually in uh, Xander Shoffley and Rory McIlroy were playing a match. I believe this was on the 16th or 17th hole. And there was kind of like that good, good situation. And, and I kind of joked with someone. I'm like, it, the person that offers that is kind of signaling. And so like when Rory walked up and was like, hey, you know, yours is good as mine's good. I might take that as signal to be like, oh, maybe you're not feeling too confident about yours. Maybe I should just uh, put mine in and put put the pressure squarely back onto you. Yeah, I've always yeah. felt like the guy who offers good good is is not the most confident person on the putting green at that moment in time. So, uh, no no question about that. I've, I've you know, I don't know that I've ever really seen it. I don't know that I've ever really been a part of a, a good good that made sense. You, you, you know, that wasn't kind of like we both just chipped it to a foot, you know, or or whatever. Well, the other thing you've got to be careful with is when you're not, you know, if you're getting a little too short-armed with giving your uh your opponent putts or you know maybe being soft when you're like saying good so they don't hear it and they rake and you're like well i didn't say but i, I mean i was going to but i hadn't said it because you know john augenstein very famously kind of did that to andy ogletree and then ogletree basically has said he's like yeah i was like i was so pissed that he kind of like got cute I would just dusted him and then he went on to win the M I mean, it was um, because basically that's, I think that's what had happened is it was, it was like a foot and they'd been given all day or whatever. And so it was a foot and Ogletree kind of went to rake it in August. Well, I didn't say it yet. And she's like, Oh, Oh, we're doing that. And then that's where everything turned. Yeah. I mean, historically, even at this Dell match play, there's been some consternation. I believe it was, uh, Sergio Garcia raked a putt that was, you know, about, you know, you'd call it generously like a foot to a foot and a half away. Looked like one of those ones that you can just walk up and and grab the back of the putter. Quick aside, uh, Billy Horschel had a a very saucy little, you know, rake rake away and like flip his putter trick that I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to learn that one because that looked pretty nice. But yeah, you know, Sergio rakes the putt and I believe it was Keegan Bradley if I have the, the, the. Kuchar. Oh, it was Kuchar. That's right. And so, you know, that happens every year. And there could be even, Billy, to your earlier point around, like, the mental energy. 
it's sort of like even the speed of of when you like say, oh, that's good. There could be some gamesmanship in there. Like a guy wants to go rake it and you're you're making him just like look back at you and then you look at it and you're like, oh yeah, okay, that's that's good. Pick that up. You can you can well, play with the like the time. Where, you yeah, can play I with mean, the timing I was, of that. I was actually I was actually really concerned. Um I mean it didn't end up mattering because Scotty lost the the semifinal match anyway, but like when he missed, we were talked about is him taking two minutes on the four footer earlier, but I was briefly concerned that he was going to rake it like just just so fast you know after after having missed it and it was just six inches behind the hole but it was like whoa i don't like there wasn't enough time for that to be good yet and it was kind of this whole thing i mean obviously it didn't end up going down i don't know you know how that went down on the ground but it was just briefly looked to me like whoa 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 like this is not like you, you can't just do that you know yeah was this the event where kevin not like did DJ quick rake and like Kevin Niles like chase him off the green to like explain the rule or try to like give DJ like a half rules lecture. And you could just see the look on DJ's face. It was like, dude, what are you even talking about? Like, I don't care. Right. Like he might've lost the whole, and like, I forget what it was, but it was just like this Kevin Na like wanted to like come tell him the rule. And he's like, I don't, you just, the body language was tremendous. And I think he went on to like dust Kevin Na, you know, over the next five or six holes. But uh, it was, there always is some weird things when you see the match play. Um, Cause it is, I guess, you know, guys are open. They're like, Hey, they don't obviously professionally, you don't play it. I'm assuming whenever guys get together and play practice rounds and everything, you're basically playing matches or best ball with whoever your group is. So um, probably a lot of raking going on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, most of the mat- most of the practice round stuff is match play for sure. Well, hey, that brings us to what's next. Next week we have Live Orlando at Orange County National, the Crooked Cat Course. Uh, Billy, we were talking offline about this. You- you've played this one for Q School. Uh, I'm curious, like, it- what do you think about this golf course? And secondarily, like, is this a good way to prep for the Masters? Is there anything about that golf course that you would say is helping these guys, you know, prepare for the, for the, for the next week at Augusta? Well, is it a good, uh, is it a good test to prep for Augusta? I, I don't know. It doesn't really seem to me. I mean, I think all, that will all come down to how fast are the greens. If, if, if the greens are pretty fast, then, then it will, well, then it can help the guys for, for, for next week uh, or for two weeks at Augusta. There's nothing about the golf course that resembles Augusta in any way, you know, shape or form other than it's long. Uh, it's kind of, it's a, it's, it's a big ball yard. So, you know, there, there'll be some of that, but, you know, putting surfaces are Bermuda, you know, Augusta's bent. And so the, the, the difference is, you know, grass is totally different, all, all these different things. So in no way is it like a good golf course, that's a good tune up or anything that would help you, um, for Augusta, but, um, you know, just from a, things to look out for, I, I'd say, you know, the last four holes are, are, are big boy golf holes and, and, you know, long par three, a couple long par fours, a, a good par five. And so, um, not in that order for those who want to fact check me, but they, you do have to hit a lot of quality shots and, 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 you know, probably the, the course is maybe a little longer than, than, than quote average for you know uh, elite professional men's golf so um 
that much will be kind of a, a good a good warm up, I think, and they the, the guys will hit more mid and long irons than than maybe they they did at Mayakoba and and Tucson. Well, we also have the Valero Texas Open on the PGA Tour, which, uh, you know, for obvious reasons, since it comes right before the Masters, many of the top, top players will be skipping that event. But I I look forward to this week because we're going to see how uh, the live guys are rounding into form, who's playing well, uh, because inevitably, you know, you're going to evaluate the play at at the Texas Open and also at Live Orlando, but you're going to have an eye toward toward Augusta. And so. You know, we will recap all of that this time next week. Does, See you, does boys. Valero, does the winner of Valero get a spot? Yes. At, at Augusta? So that that's like literally like Glory's last chance. It Correct. is It is very much, yeah. Someone will be very, very happy to to be, you know, packing their bag and figuring out their colorways for, for Augusta. So we, we will look forward to who that winner may be at the Valero Texas Open and see how the live players are rounding into form at Live Orlando at the old Cricket Cat. See you, boys. Thanks for listening to the Living It Up podcast. Follow us on the Twitters at Living It Up Pod. See you there.